Chapter 18 of Midnight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Midnight by Octavus Roy Cohen. Chapter 18 And Nothing But the Truth. Barker's words reverberated through the room, to be succeeded by an almost unnatural stillness a silence punctured by the ticking of the cheap clock on the mantel, by the crackling of the flames in the grate, by the whistling of the wind around the corners of the gaunt gray stone building which housed the police department. The accused man looked eagerly upon the faces of the two detectives. Then, slowly, his chest expanded with relief. He saw that they believed him. And Carroll did believe. It was not that he wanted to. He had fought himself mentally away from that conviction time after time, had threshed over every scintilla of evidence, searching futilely for something which would clear this radiant woman whom he had met but once. Carroll's interest, however platonic, was intensely personal. The woman had impressed herself indelibly upon him, it was perhaps her air of game helplessness, perhaps the stark tragedy which he had seen reflected in her eyes when he had first entered her home and saw that she knew why he had come. And now, driven into the corner which he had hoped to avoid, his retentive memory brought back a circumstance well-nigh forgotten. He addressed Barker, his voice soft hopeless. You mean that Mrs. Lawrence was the woman in the taxicab? Yes, sir. The sir which Barker used for the first time was respectful. Where had she been during the evening, after dark of the night of the killing? At home, I believe. You believe? Yes, sir. Carol's eyes lighted. His voice cracked out accusingly. "'Don't you know that that is incorrect?' Barker shook his head. "'Why, no, sir. Of course I ain't saying positive that she was at home all evening, but—' "'As I understand it,' said Carroll slowly, "'an accommodation train came in just about that time. Isn't that a fact?' "'Some train came in, then.' I don't know which one it was. Isn't it a fact that the woman who got into the taxicab had been a passenger on that train, that she got off with the other passengers carrying a suitcase? There ain't nobody can see the passengers get off the trains at the Union Station, Mr. Carroll. You go down them steps and approach the waiting room underground, crossing under the tracks. But you do know that this woman, whoever she was, passed through the waiting room with the passengers who came on that train, don't you? Yes, sir, she done that, but it don't mean nothing. Why don't it? Well, sir, for one thing, ain't it true that the paper said the suitcase she was carrying wasn't hers at all? Ain't it a fact that she had Mr. Warren's suitcase? Well, Carroll saw his last hope glimmering. You see, sir, 
Mr. Warren was meeting Mrs. Lawrence at the station. He got there with his suitcase at about ten minutes to twelve. She got there about ten or fifteen minutes later. How did she come? On the streetcar. And when she come out, she was alone, and it was his suitcase she was carrying, the same suitcase he had taken into the station, the one you found in the taxicab. I see. Carol did not want to believe Barker's story, but he knew that the man was telling the truth, or at least that most of what he was saying was true. The detective seemed crushed with disappointment. Leverage, seated in the corner of the room, chewing savagely on a big black cigar, was sorry for his friend, sorry yet proud of the way he was standing the gaff of his chagrin. Carroll again spoke to Barker, manner almost apathetic. "'You know a good deal more about this thing than you've told us, don't you, Barker?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Very well. Let's have your story from the beginning to the end. I'll be honest with you. I believe a good deal of what you've told me. Some of your story I don't believe. Other portions of it need substantiation.' but you are mighty close to being charged with murder, and now is your chance to clear yourself. Go to it. Barker plunged a hand into his pocket. Can I smoke, Mr. Carroll? Certainly, and sit down. They drew up their chairs before the fire. Carroll did not look at Barker, but Leverage's steady gaze was fixed on the man's crafty face. I'm going to come clean with you, Mr. Carroll. I'm going to tell you everything I know, and everything I think. I didn't want to do it, and I don't want to now. But I'd a heap rather have the job of convincing you that I ain't mixed up in this murder than I would of making a jury believe the same thing. I reckon you'll give me a square deal. I will, snapped Carroll. Go ahead. "'In the first place,' started Barker slowly. "'It's my personal opinion that Mr. Warren never had no idea of marrying Miss Gresham. Maybe I'm all wrong there, but it's what I think. I can't prove that, of course, and no one else can't either. Also, I happen to know that he's been crazy about Mrs. Lawrence for a long time. He's been hanging around the house a good deal, and doing little things like a man will when he's nuts about a woman. For instance, Mr. Warren wasn't no investing man. So far as I know, he had all his money in government bonds and such like investments. But he sank some money into them woolen mills that Mr. Lawrence owns. And also he pretended that he liked that kid's sister of Mrs. Lawrence's, Evelyn Rogers. But there ain't hardly a doubt in my mind, Mr. Carroll, and I'm handing it to you straight, that he was crazy about Mrs. Lawrence. And not meaning no impertinence, sir, I ain't blaming him a bit. Also, I reckon she wasn't exactly indifferent to him. She's been up in his apartment twice, which is a terrible risky thing, and something no woman will do unless she's wild about a feller. Oh, everything was proper while she was there, 
I was at home all the time, and I know. But she was, what you call, indiscreet, that is, in coming up there and all, no matter how decent she acted when she was there. And also, sir, she used to write him notes, most every day. You have some of those notes? No, sir. I had one, if you want the truth, but when I saw you was watching me, sure, I know you've had a couple of dicks shadowing me. I destroyed it. Where are the rest of her letters? Mr. Warren used to burn em up careful. He wasn't taking no chances of someone finding em and he being caught in a scandal, which is why I think he really cared about her serious. His other lady friends he used to joke about, but never Mrs. Lawrence. And the one letter of hers that I had, I'm betting that he looked for three days without stopping before he gave it up as a bad job. That's the way things was when I seen him begin to make arrangements to get away from town. It wasn't supposed to be none of my business, and Mr. Warren never was a feller I could ask questions of. When he had something to tell me, he told it, and I never got nothing out of him by asking. But, being his valet, there was certain things I couldn't very well miss knowing. I know his apartment is sublet for the new tenants to come in on the first of the month. He placed his car with a dealer to be sold, and he didn't order a new one, and he drew a whole heap of cash out of the bank the day before he was killed. Also that day he sent me downtown to do some shopping. While I was downtown, I seen him go into the railroad ticket office. I didn't pay much attention to that then, and later on he drove by the house for a minute. I had taken his lap robe out of the car the night before and forgot to put it back, so I thought I'd better do it. I went downstairs without his knowing it, and when I put the lap robe in the car, I seen he had a suitcase in there. And the suitcase wasn't his, sir. The initials on it was N.L., which, if you know, sir, Mrs. Lawrence's name is Naomi. That made things pretty clear to me then. He drove off and come back about a half hour later. I looked when he come back, and the suitcase wasn't in the car no more. And it was then that he handed me a big wad of wages in advance and told me he wasn't going to need me no more, and I could quit any time after five o'clock in the afternoon. Barker paused lighted another cigarette from the stump of the one he had been smoking, inhaled a great puff, and continued. His manner was that of a man under great mental stress, as though he was struggling to recall every infinitesimal detail which might possibly have a bearing on the case. "'That sort of carries me along to the night, sir, as I left there at five o'clock, and he was still there.' telling me good-bye and giving me an excellent reference and saying I was a good valet and all like that, sir. After leaving there, I went out and got some supper, and then I went up to Kelly's place and horned into an open game of pool. You know Kelly's place is pretty close to the Union Station, and when it comes about ten o'clock, I got tired and went and sat down in the corner, eating a hot dog from the stand in Kelly's. 
and then I sort of got to thinkin' things over. And thinkin' things over that way, Mr. Carroll, I began to think that Mrs. Lawrence was doin' a terrible foolish thing, and I was kind of sorry about it. Now, don't get no idea that I'm wantin' you to believe I got a soft heart or anything like that. But then I sort of liked Mr. Warren, and I knew Mrs. Lawrence was a decent woman, and I knew once she got on the train with Mr. Warren, she was done for. And when I got to thinkin' about that, sir, it struck me that maybe something could be done to keep em from eloping with each other that way. Not that I was plannin' to do anything, but curiosity sort of got me, and along about eleven o'clock or a little while after, I went out of Kelly's and up to the Union Station. I sat down over in the corner and waited for something to happen, sort of hoping maybe I had been wrong all the time and there wasn't going to be no elopement. I waited there a long time, and then suddenly a taxicab came up to the curb and Mr. Warren got out. Then the taxicab beat it downtown again, and Mr. Warren went in the station. And as he come in one door, I beat it out of the other. "'Why?' snapped Leverage. "'Because him seeing me there was certain to start something, and I wasn't hankering for nothing like that to happen. So I went across the street and tried to get shelter against the wall of that dump of a hotel over there. And it was cold.' I ain't seen such a cold night in my life. I almost froze to death. And yet you continued to stand there? Sure, I was curious. Kind of foolish, maybe, but I wanted to see had I figured right about him eloping with Mrs. Lawrence. So I stood there, darn near dead with the cold, when the midnight Union Station streetcar stopped and Mrs. Lawrence got out. And the first thing I noticed was that she wasn't carrying no suitcase. I noticed that on account of having seen her suitcase in Mr. Warren's car that day. She didn't carry nothing but one of these handbag things that women lug around with them. How was she dressed? Fur coat and hat and a heavy veil. You could see the veil from across the street at midnight? No, sir, not from there. But when she went in the depot, I followed across the street and looked inside to see what was going to happen. He paused a moment, and then Carroll prodded him on. Well, what did happen? The minute Mr. Warren seen her come in, he beat it through the opposite door from where I was standing, out to the platform that runs parallel to the tracks. And he nodded to her to follow him. She sort of nodded like she was wise and took a seat so's nobody would think anything in case there was anyone there looking for something. Mr. Warren walked off down the outside platform towards the baggage room and after about three minutes she gets up, kind of casual-like, and follers. Soon as she went through the door to the platform, I went in the waiting room. What did you do then? Nothing just made a beeline for the steam radiator and tried to get warm. I was so cold it hurt, and I stood there for about ten minutes. Then I heard that train coming in, and I went outside into the street again. 
Carol's voice was tense. "'In all that time did you hear anything, anything at all?' Barker shook his head. "'No, sir, not a thing, except that train coming in. "'And then the passengers from it began to come through, "'and I was surprised to see Mrs. Lawrence coming with them, "'and she was carrying his suitcase.' "'Whose suitcase?' "'Mr. Warren's. "'She come on out to the curb and called a taxicab. "'Where was the taxicab standing?' "'Parked against the curb on Atlantic Avenue, "'about a hundred yards from the entrance "'in the direction of Jackson Street. "'How did she act? "'Kinda nervous-like. "'Noticing her come out, "'I seen the taxi driver when he climbed back into his cab "'and when he started her up. "'He picked up Mrs. Lawrence, "'and she put the suitcase in front beside him. "'Then they drove off. "'And that's all I know, sir.' Carroll rose and walked slowly the length of the room. "'What did you think when you saw Mrs. Lawrence come out of the station, alone, carrying Mr. Warren's suitcase? When she did that and called a taxicab and went off in it, alone?' "'Not knowing about no killin', Mr. Carroll, I thought they'd got together and talked things over and decided to call off the elopement.' "'You did,' Carroll paused. "'And the first time you knew of Warren's death "'was when I read the newspapers the next morning.' "'Then why,' barked the detective, "'did you make the blunt statement "'that Mrs. Lawrence killed Warren?' "'Because,' said Barker simply, "'I believe she did.' "'How could she have killed him? "'When and how?' "'That's easy.' "'explained Barker quietly. "'If I'm right in thinking that they was going to call off the elopement, "'they could have seen that taxi standing against the curb, "'and he could have got in without being seen. "'It was awful dark where the taxi was standing, "'and the driver says himself that he was over in the restaurant getting warm. "'So what I thought right away was that Warren got in the taxi, "'and she called it. That was so they wouldn't be seen getting in together at that time of night. Then I thought they drove off. And then... Yes, and then... It was while they were alone together in that taxi that she killed him. End of chapter 18 Recording by Roger Moline